in chapter 9 tonight, and <clears throat> what I'd like to do is, if we're able to, the first thing I'd like to do is, before we read the passage, uh, you can open it up and hold it there, um, I'd like to just back up and go back to Revelation 4 and just do a quick little review with some pictures, just to quickly review and bring us forward on where we're at on this book. Thank you. And then we will come to Revelation 9, and quite frankly, Revelation, certain passages, most of the book is very sobering. Chapter 9 is very disturbing chapter, but it's part of God's Word, and He wants us to know it and to have it testified in His church. So again, we're in Revelation 9. You can hold your place there. <clears throat> but if you were to follow kind of the movements of this book. John, again, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's received this whole vision, this whole book, and he was told to write it in kind of three sections. The first section was what he saw. The first thing he saw was Jesus Christ appeared to him on the Isle of Patmos in a glorified form, so he, write what he, he wrote what he saw in chapter 1. The second thing, he was told to write the things that are, and the things that are were the conditions of seven particular churches in chapter 2 and 3. And so he wrote those things. And then he's told to write the things which shall be hereafter, that is, projected into the future. And we, we uh, believe even after the church age. So therefore, he was writing the things that the Lord showed him that are hereafter. Chapter 4 starts the hereafter time. And when he, chapter 4 begins, it starts out, and we're not going to preach the whole thing, just giving you a quick little overview so we can see kind of the, the trees and then the forest and then back to the trees again, so to speak. He sees a throne, a throne set in heaven. There's the angels, there's the saints, there's the 24 elders, I believe, represent saints in the church. There's these cherubims, and he sees the throne in heaven, the Lord in his glorified form, and then the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is as a lamb slain. He appears there. And there's a book, that seven-sealed book that is, shows up as John seeing this awesome scene in heaven. And people allowed an angel proclaim, who's able to open this book and break the seals? They looked up and down and all around and heaven and earth and under the earth and nobody was worthy to do it. They had the authority to do it. But the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb comes forth and He's able to do it. And everything flows from that moment. All the cause and effect of what we've seen, like these judgments and trumpets, it's all coming from what Jesus Christ is authorizing to happen on earth. If you follow the, the cause and effect, the you know, the, the, the objects and the, uh, what's, how, what's the, you know, we're diagramming sentences here, the predicate and object. If you're following the, the object and the actions that are going on, it's from the lamb to the world, from the lamb to the world, from what he's declaring. He's breaking open the seals. He's tell, authorizing these angels to do this and that. It's all coming from God's throne. So we are introduced to these different seals. There's In the book of Revelation, there's kind of these series of judgments. There's the seven series. There's a lot of sevens. There's a bunch of sevens in the book. But the series of judgments, there's seven seals, seven trumpet judgments, seven 
vile judgments we'll get to later, and their in the intensity of them increases. So the first seven seals were like unto the first seven seals are open on this of this in the book, and their first four are horsemen. And quickly, the first horseman was uh, a white a man on a white horse had a bow, no arrows. It's an image of false peace. I believe it represents the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation. Hey, everything's going to be fine. He makes a covenant with Israel. It's a false peace because pretty soon there's another horse, a red horse. Peace is removed from the earth, and men are killing each other's bloodshed. A great sword is given, and that red horse. The second seal, or the third seal, is the red, or pardon me, the, the black. The, the second seal was the red horse. The third seal is the black horse, which is famine, which follows war. High cost of food. The third one, or pardon me, the fourth seal is a pale horse. Death is the name of the person riding on this on the rider of the horse, and hell is following up, gobbling up the dead. And in that judgment on earth, of one fourth of the of the uh, residents of earth in this future time, one fourth of the world's population will die by sword, by uh, hunger, by beasts. It's going to be such famine, beasts are going to get desperate and turn on humanity. And by death, people will die by death. That's because so many rotting bodies causes more death, you know, the diseases and whatever is what I understand it to mean. Those are the four horsemen. Then the fifth seal is opened up, and you see the stars fall from heaven. Some of this stuff is still incomprehensible to me. I'm just taking the Bible as it says, though. Uh, there's a, I'm sorry for the cheesy picture. How could you ever show this, though? It says the, the heaven departs as a scroll. I'm not sure how in the world this is going to happen. Uh, and then at some point, I don't know if it's momentarily or what, but it says all the great men, mighty men, poor men, all sorts of people hide themselves in rocks and say, cover us, hide us from the, the lamb and him that sits on the throne. Then there was a pause in the book. There's, there's these chronological things. I think the judgments, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, I think they're chronological. But there's some concurrent things that are happening while those are happening, and it pauses. And it'll say, oh, by the way, here's what else is happening. And there's a pause, and we are introduced to the 144,000 servants of God. And then uh, in that same chapter, chapter 7, we are introduced to an innumerable amount of saints that show up in heaven all of a sudden in the middle of the tribulation. I believe they get saved and killed, and they show up in heaven. So that was the... Uh, seals, the sixth seal was uh, the sixth seal. There was a pause, then we we have this pause in, in the continuity of the book and learn of these 144,000. And then in chapter eight, we learn of the seven, the seventh seal. Watch this. You have a seal. The book is opening. Boom, boom. It's opening up. The seventh seal, last one of the book. The last, the seventh seal becomes seven of something else. All of a sudden, seven. Angels show up and step forth and they have these trumpets after a half hour of silence in heaven. Seven angels show up in heaven and they have trumpets ready to sound. First trumpet sounds and there's hail and fire mingled with blood. It destroys a lot of vegetation. All grass is burned up. One third of the trees on earth are destroyed. The, six, or the, seven, the second and the third seem similar to me, but I'm just going to, again, take it as it is that John says this as the second trumpet sounded. He said, It was as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Now, it, it, 
is this a volcano? Is this coming from uh, space? Whatever this is, it gets cast in the sea. And this particular judgment becomes a judgment on the sea. One-third of the sea becomes, becomes blood, this is the language. One-third of the sea becomes blood. One-third of the ships are destroyed. One-third of the uh, sea life is destroyed. The next one is not sea life, but uh, fresh water. Not salt water now, but fresh water, where you have the third trumpet sounds. And now this is probably like a meteor. A great star fell from heaven. It fell from heaven. So it's giving that indication there, burning as a lamp. And it fell upon one-third of the rivers. And my understanding is that being one-third of the world's rivers, which if you hit one of these major rivers, that would about cover it. Perhaps the Nile or Amazon. And uh, they become bitter and they're undrinkable. Fourth trumpet sounds. Plague of darkness. The sun and the moon are smitten. You only have is a third of the amount of light that normally would have. And then there's a pause here. And there's a solemn angelic warning. And at the end of chapter uh, 8... It says, I beheld, verse 18, I beheld and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Now it's like, this was, wasn't this already woe here? You know, woe means it's an exclamation. See, we don't say woe a lot except for riding a horse, woe horse, you know. This is like a amplified expression, an exclamation of grief. It's saying distress, distress. It's saying I have a major concern here. Whoa, three times. If you just said once, it's enough. Three, whoa, 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 the angel says. There's three more heavy-duty judgments yet to come. So the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet are called woes. We did last week this fifth one of the locusts coming out. There's a literal place somewhere on the earth. God has a lid. There's a key. It needs to be unlocked. He knows where it's at. He's going to have an angel unlock it. And out of it will come billows of smoke and swarms of these. What we, what we sense is a demonic um, creature. Now, this is an exact description based on the scripture. There's a few things lacking, but that's kind of the gist. It's going to be some kind of... Locust that has a sting like a scorpion and a face like a man, but teeth like lions and flies. When it flies, it's like hearing many chariots running to battle. And people are going to be like, man, this hurts. I want to die. I think I'm going to kill myself. They won't be able to kill themselves for five months. And then, which brings us to the next one, which finally death does come. So we're going to look at tonight this next thing, the terrifying 200 million horsemen. Terrifying 200 million horsemen. So let's read chapter 9, verses 13 to 21 together. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed. 
which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads. And with them they do hurt. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The chapters following is another break in the flow of the trumpet judgments, but it's a, this is God's design. So this is this is very disturbing, I'm being honest with you. 200 million, the terrifying 200 million horsemen. Here's what we're going to look at, kind of how we're going to walk through it. We're going to see something here of the sixth angel of God. Then we're going to see something of the supernatural army of hell. I interpret it to be that they come of hell, this group. It, I could be wrong in that part, but that's how I interpret it. And then we're going to look this, at the senseless antagonism of men, okay? Talking something about the angels, something about these, uh, this army, and then something about how men respond in this scenario. You know, if, if, if you had a, 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 you know, a tragic event, you think it'd really change you, right? And sometimes tragic events change us. Or if we have a national calamity, you think it'd really change you. Well, let's see what happens at the end of this. Let's consider, I don't have a lot of pictures tonight, and I don't have a picture of these creatures. I just, everything fell short in my research. I'm like, that looks too cute. I'm not going to put that up there. These are not cute. <clears throat> so here we go. Let's look at this. Let's consider for these verses here about this angel. I noticed something different about this angel here. Look at verse 13. The sixth angel sounded. Six of seven. And as he sounded, notice what happens here. He says, I heard a voice from the, four, from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel that had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. So this is interesting. So he, he sounds, da, 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 da. he sounds whatever it is. And then, you know, not everybody quite understands this, but let's just say what it is. It's the altar in heaven. Four horns. Now, there's one like that in the tabernacle. It's usually a place of mercy. There's a place of, uh, you know, where people can cling to and have mercy with God. A voice comes from that and tells that angel to do something that just blew the trumpet. His other buddies are probably sitting down. I don't know, but he's now got to do something. Now, it, that voice is, is it the voice of, is it people's prayers? Is it, I think it's probably just the voice of God speaking from there. 
telling him to do something now. You blew the trumpet, now you got a job to do. Go down there on the earth, and there's four angels, apparently he knows about it, bound in the, the, the river Euphrates, the great river Euphrates. Okay, so let's pause and think about these words here. Now the angel's going to go down to earth. This is one of the good ones. He's going to go to a major, this is the most major river in Western Asia, okay? Euphrates River is a big deal. The Tigris is east of it. Nile is on another continent. It's a big time, I think 1,700 miles long. I can't remember. It starts up in the, the mountains of east um, Turkey. has some tribut, tributaries, the snow melting. It's a major river. This angel's told to go down there. There's four angels in it. Interesting. Just what it says. They're tied up. I'm thinking they're bad angels. Whenever you look, according to Jude, there's a passage in Jude. I don't know if I have my proof text here. There's a passage in Jude and one, I think, in 1 Peter where it talks about there are certain angels bound. There's, I'm, okay, demon angels. There's a bunch of demons that can roam around the earth. It's a fact. You don't see them, but they are about. But there's some reason people have their uh, expositions of this. There's some angels that are tied up in hell. They're bound. And maybe four of them are the, this is a four, sample of four of them that come out. Satan is said to, will, will be bound, I think, later on in the, not, I think it will be later on in the book. I think maybe chapter 20. Satan will be bound. So the word bound and tying up is never used of good angels in the scripture. It's usually used of bad angels. So it's reasonable for us to say, these are bad boys. That makes it sound too cute. They are bad spirits, bad, wicked. Uh, Satan's... Angels, and they're bad, tied up in a river, the river Euphrates, the river Euphrates. Now, there might be something going on now. This is why some of the, not everybody has an exact crystal clear of what's happening here. We want to like know more details, okay? Babylon is in this area, and one of the interpretations of Mystery Babylon is that it will be literally rebuilt here. There could be something going on here and that these angels are anxious to do. I don't know. But they're in the river or under the river somehow there, and they're going to get let loose. The Euphrates River is a very important river. It was the place of the, near Babylon, it's the place of the first, okay. Now, I know the continents were moved after the flood, but before the flood, there was still something called the Euphrates River. And apparently, in some way, the Garden of Eden was in this area. The first sin took place near here. The Garden of Eden, the Euphrates ran near or through it, if I remember right. The first sin, the first murder, the first, um, what was his name, Nimrod, there. He was kind of a shadow of an antichrist type. The first coalition, anti-God coalition, started in this area. Interesting few things about Euphrates. But so the angel goes down there and he looses them. He, he looses them. Verse 15, it says they were purposefully loosed. It wasn't like God 
you know, he had to keep to his word of saying, you know, I told you guys, uh, and uh, you know, your, your time in prison's up. He, it's his purpose, his time, to loose them. And look what it says in verse 15. The angels, the four angels were loosed, which were prepared. Hmm. For an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. So God, those bad angels in there, the one angel goes down, loosens them, lets them go. We're going to see what I think they're doing. And it could be that it's saying that they're going to be doing their work for 13 months and a day and an hour. 13 months and 26 or 25 hours. It could mean that. Or it could mean it's this exact moment of time that God's going to have to do it. Whatever the case, the, come away, the takeaway of this few verses here is <laughs> God is telling the demons when they can do stuff and when they can't. And even when they do do stuff, watch this, they do exactly what He wants in this occasion. You know, there's a proverb. Look in Proverbs 16.4. <clears throat> Proverbs 16.4, where it says something about everything that's been created and made. And it says in Proverbs 16.4, The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, yes, even the wicked for the day of evil. Did you know sometimes God would use a wicked angel to accomplish his purpose, he's doing that right here. These wicked angels. Well, look, in, look in Romans 9.22. Romans 9.22. It says there, it, it, the verses before it say, hey, are you arguing with what God wants to do here? God has power over the clay, does he not? And he says in Romans 9.22, what if God willing to show his wrath and make his power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy. It's saying God can even make something known of himself, accomplish a purpose of himself on bad vessels. Look in, look in Romans 11.36. It's kind of the culmination of that section of Scripture. If you're going to try to study the book of Romans, understand Romans 9, 10, and 11 go together. There's a kind of a theme in there. <clears throat> but Romans 11.36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It means, you know, God gives people liberty. He gives us free will. He gives us some control. He lets evil run rampant to a certain extent. But in the, in the big picture, he's got it all under control. Of him, to him, and through him are all things. So this angel that blew the sixth trumpet goes down, looses the four. And now we're going to look here, uh, uh, this army, the supernatural army of hell. Look at verse, let's go back to Revelation. 
Because as you're reading it, you're like, okay, wait a minute. We, were, we weren't talking about an army. Now all of a sudden we're talking about an army. Verse 15, we were talking about some angels that are bound. And now all of a sudden we're talking about not four angels, but 200 million army of horsemen. So the conclusion is the reasonable uh, thought is these four wicked angels lead a supernatural, possibly even demonic army right here. I, I think this is a demonic army. I could be wrong. That's why I was like, there's some things in here like what is, you're not sure exactly all the details of it, but it's at least supernatural. And these four angels have something to do with it. And they're leading a 200 million person army. That's not arguable. It's right there. Look what it says. The number of this army of, of hell. I, and by the way, I believe it's, this is why I think it's demonic, something from the pits, because the language here is language that points to creatures from hell with brimstone and fire and all this stuff. Verse 16, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. Do the math, that's 200 million. Now notice John's next phrase. And I heard the number of them. You know what he's saying? I, I got that. I heard that. Now think about how many, I don't know what the population was 2,000 years ago in the world in John's day. But that would have, I mean, that gets our attention. 200 million people, that's big. 200 million army? Whoa. How about in John's day? Just, just to hear of 200 million people, I don't know if there was that. But he's like, oh, I heard that. Um, 200 million. They said an army like that, somebody did a calculation. You can have that army one mile wide and 87 miles long. Somebody did a calculation on that. Whoa! I don't want to see that coming at me. And they're horsemen, and there's something supernatural about it, most likely demonic about these. 200 million we had in the United States as of last year had 480,000 in our armed forces. Not much compared to this. I don't think this is Armageddon that we're looking at. I think this is a different event here. Uh, it has some differences in what the other descriptions of Armageddon is. And the language here seems to show that they're creatures from hell in my interpretation of it. Notice here, verse 17 here. Thus I saw, he, so he's going to describe the horses and the riders, mostly the horses, though. Verse 7, so you're going to have to put this in your mind's eye. i got no pictures for you. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them, and them that sat on them, so there's two things there, having breastplates of fire and jacinth. That's a gem. It's either the literal jacinth or the appearance of it because of the heat. And brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. This looks like a biological creature. Now, one of the things, one of the things I toyed around with is this, is people going to do some really crazy genetic engineering? Is China doing something over there? I mean, I guess that's possible. The tail's like a serpent. The, the head is like a lion. It's got fire coming out. There's been, I, I, 
uh, it, it's possible. Well, of course it's possible. It's in God's word. I mean, it's going to happen. Whether it ends up being biological engineering or they just straight out of hell, which that's what I tend to think they are. It just is. See, that's what we can't get too naturalistic, can we? About the, it's like, whatever it says, you know, how did God make the sun stand still? The earth would burn up, blah, 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 blah. You know what? He could, he's got, it's not like God says, I'm going to make the, remember with Joshua, he made the earth or the sun stand still? It's not like God said, let's make the, let's make the earth or the sun stand still. And he does it. He goes, oh, I forgot. It's going to burn up. Wait, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, he, he just, he's got all the laws of nature in his control, you know? Cancel this out, cancel that out, cancel that out, cancel that out, and just, just let the sun set on the earth. It's like we can't be too naturalistic. So whatever the Bible says, okay, if it starts talking in symbolic language, then I'll be like, okay, I might need to take it a little differently. But some of this stuff is just, wow, brimstone coming out mouths and smoke and tails. You, you, this horse, whatever these horsemen are, um, they probably were a lot brighter than this right there. But whatever these horsemen are and their horses, uh, they armored and fire breathing, and you think, well, I'm gonna come on, I'm gonna sneak up behind them. No, you're not. The snake's gonna get you. The tail's gonna bite you. You know, some of you, some of y'all like the tail of a horse. You know, look at that tail. You know, not this. You don't go up to the tail. It's bad. Well, I'll go to the front. No, don't go to the front either. Just run away. Get saved. You know, people need to. That's what they'll need to do at this time. This army, supernatural army of hell. Brimstone, there's a, I stand, I, it's like I'm staying like, ooh, I could get distracted in this and distract. Brimstone is a, most of us understand brimstone to be sulfur. But the Bible, when the Bible uses the word, it's talking about sulfur, but I like how the Bible word is. Brimstone means burning stone. The literal word means burning stone. And there's some interesting things about sulfur. Brimstone. It has a unique look to it when it's burning. They had a sulfur field. They, I saw a little video of a sulfur field burning. It looked unlike anything I've ever seen. Like the fire was like moving around and going up. And it was just, it looked like, don't get near me. <laughs> and I'm sure it smelled much worse. Has that rotten egg smell, sulfur? Yeah. Now, I guess when it's plain, it doesn't. There's a, it's a mineral. Sulfur's a mineral. It's quite abundant in our earth. Sulfur is. This is interesting. You know, scientists, sometimes they find stuff. We, we read, you ever read stuff about scientists? You're like, oh, they're way off there. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, but then other times they read, they, they'll find things, and you're like, see, well, I knew that. Like one, I read something, you know, I think a couple years ago, they're doing, they're trying to, what's in the earth? They want to know what's down there. They can't drill very far. It gets hard. It gets hot. But they did some calculations. I think they think there's actually a lot of sulfur in the middle of the earth. Uh, That doesn't surprise us. Hell is there. Brimstone. When volcanoes erupt, get samples of brimstone. It's a foul smell. And there's blue flames. When it burns, it has like a, emits a blue flame. That's what these creatures have. And it, look, what, look what's happening. It, again, the verse, the end of the verse 17, out of their mouths issued fire, smoke, 
brimstone, burning stone. Ah, I don't know that any of them are a good choice. They're all bad. By these, verse 18, was a third. By these three was the third of men killed. If you didn't get the fire, okay, you got the smoke. If you didn't get the smoke, you got the brimstone. There's this sulfuric gas that comes of brimstone. The smoke might be referencing that. The brimstone might be referencing hot, burning, solid substance. This fire is obvious that we can know what that is. It comes out of their mouth. Brimstone. A third of the world dies. Again, what it says, a third part of men killed, verse 18. Now, let's back up a minute. A fourth of the world was killed, one of the early seal judgments. And then some martyrs took, there was some martyrdom, and then probably some other deaths. By this time, after this, it's probably only half of the world's population. What are we now? Eight billion? What is the world population? Anybody know? Seven? Okay. So let's say seven billion. Half of the, and within... Maybe some, a few years, three, four years, half the world's population's gone. We're just thinking on what's the implications of this. All right? The army of hell, and this is the last thing here, the senseless antagonism of men. So, again, verse 19 says, Their power is in their mouth and their tails. Their tails were likened to serpents. They had heads with them. They do hurt. That's what we do. We hurt is what those heads do. But the senseless antagonism of men is seen in verse 20 and 21. Look what it says. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not. Remember when we started out by saying, you know, you think a, a major event, a calamity, a natural disaster would be like, okay, I'm changing some things in my life. And sometimes people do. Sometimes it works. But there's something by this day and age, at this time, at this point, people are so hardened, and I don't think it's for lack of knowledge of God, but they're hardened, and perhaps in addition to that, they're deceived in following Antichrist, which I think is concurrently happening at this time. Antichrist, they're still following him. In fact, there's a reference to them worshiping the image of the beast that they're so focused on Antichrist that they don't, in their sins, they don't repent of these sins, embrace Jesus Christ, embrace the gospel, embrace the Lamb that's on the throne, neither repent they of those things, even though God's punishing the earth with these locusts from hell, this, these horsemen from hell, these other calamities, and they don't repent. Let's look here. The earth is reeking with the smell of decaying bodies, yet men is repenting not. And he seems to go back to business as usual, even though he's endured a calamity. Fails to appreciate God's mercy. Look what, look what it says. Neither repent they of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Let's pause right there. You know, we, a lot of the secular mind right now, this is the secular mind. We're getting better all the time. We're evolving into more and more. They think we're just going to evolve into this great utopia. They think that. They think that we're always getting better and better. And mankind's, some things are getting better. 
But you know what? How in this day, in this future day, people are still going to bow to a piece of wood and look and, and, and cry and pray to a carved idol in stone and worship devils. That's not very sophisticated. But it's an, it's an old sin that they keep carrying forward. You know what's happening is look in Revelation. Hold, this, hold your place there, Revelation 3.10. Let's look at something the Lord said to one of the churches. And the Lord really forecasted what we're reading here as He said this statement to one of the churches. Revelation 3.10 he says, because thou, referring to the church of Philadelphia, and I believe this is, applies to us as a church, as Christians. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. I believe that's referring to this whole tribulation time. The Lord says, I will keep you, the church, from the hour of temptation, which, it's a unique type of temptation, shall come upon all the world, what purpose? To try them that dwell upon the earth. You know what it means to try something? To prove what it is. So God's telling the Philadelphian church, I think it's like a, a template promise to the Christian age, to the, to the church. You know, He's keeping the church from the hour of temptation, not just any kind of hour, that future worldwide tribulation that's going to come on all the earth. He's saying, I'm going to keep my church from that hour because that hour of temptation is going to test the whole world. It's going to try. Try means it's going to prove what they're about. What is, what is man really like? What is man's nature really like? Man's nature is really like this, that even when he knows of God and he's being punished by God and he knows God's punishing him, he still says, I want to continue my sin. I love my sin more than you. I love this Antichrist more than you. I know you're there. I hear your message to these 144,000 Jews that I hate. But I'm still, I want my sin and I want my Antichrist and I want my mark of the beast and I want to enjoy my uh, free market by keeping the mark of the beast. That's what I want. And they still do it. And it proves that man is very deeply depraved. without the intervention of God's grace. So look back at uh, chapter 9. There's dominant sins. We'll just quickly make a go through them here that men want to hold on to. Again, worshiping devils, worshiping idols that are futile to worship brass and stone and wood. And then verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, no regret for murdering. No regret for abortion. No regret for killing the innocent. They, I'm still going to kill. I'm still going to abort. I'm still going to do. They didn't repent of that. Neither repented there of their sorceries. Sorceries is all kinds of practice of witchcraft. It could mean it could involve drugs, drug induced. The word actually comes from the word pharm pharmaceuticals is where the word comes from here. Not that we're saying something you should never have a. A medicine, but the idea is it's talking about these drug-induced um, fascination and attachment to sorcery and witchcraft. They wouldn't repent of it. I still want to keep doing that. I still want to keep doing my drugs. I still want to keep doing my sorcery. I still want to keep doing my horoscope and my Ouija board and all these, whatever these other things are. 
They wouldn't repent of it, neither of their fornication. Fornication is the broad word for all kinds of sexual immorality. Neither of their thefts. So men are still clinging to these. Like Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Remember that? Pharaoh, okay, Pharaoh, here he is. He's got all these Hebrews. God sent, Moses says, God says, let them go. And he doesn't, and so God sends a judgment. Oh, man, never seen something like that before. He's judging one of my gods here. Oh, I'm going to still hold on to him. Pharaoh, it, was very, it wasn't an intellectual thing. Pharaoh knew what was happening. Pharaoh knew there was a God greater than all the gods of Egypt, the God of all gods, was judging him over and over. It's supernatural things that his magicians couldn't duplicate. Yet what did he do? He didn't be like, no, I'm finally intellectually convinced. I repent. No, he hardened himself. He knew, but he hardened himself against God. He hardened his heart. Then finally God hardened him. And then um, there was that judgment there. But um, men need to humble themselves and repent. Sometimes it's not just a matter of intellectually enlighten me. It's a matter of humble yourself. Humble yourself. There's a, there's, sometimes we work a lot on the mind and the brain, and I want you to be convinced that there's a God and give you the, you know, the uh, naturalistic proofs of it and all these other things. And when in reality, sometimes people just need to see their sin. They need to see the Savior and say, you know, humble yourself and trust Him. If you don't, then more books might not necessarily help you. That's why the gospel is so simple. We're sinners. He's not. I'm a sinner who deserves judgment. He took my judgment. If I humble myself and accept him sincerely, I'm safe with God. That's simple. Well, they wouldn't repent. And again, I'll do a few takeaways. And there, some of them are just like we've had before. I don't have it posted, but let me just say this. We'll wrap it up. This is a very sobering, again, a sobering passage. Disturbing with these with these locusts and these horsemen and but what we see of God what is it that we see of coming because this is coming from God's throne again we see God is still in control God is sovereign God is in control even when he's even when he's letting up these bad demons run loose it's like oh, they're doing exactly what I planned God is still merciful he's showing mercy by giving men time it's he's just Pacing out these judgments. God's sovereign, God's merciful. Man is deeply depraved, we said. Man is, deep, man is deceived. Antichrist will deceive the world in Revelation 19, and so will Satan in Revelation 20. It references back to them. And man needs a, to be saved an awesome work of grace on him. When we're saved, we are exercising the will that God gave us. He says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. But it's also that he's working in us. And man needs a work of grace to be changed, to be saved.